Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Hey, welcome to Radiant Church Online. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so glad you could join us from wherever you're watching or listening from here today. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm New. And fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thanks. We're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed right there. Well, I'm really excited about this brand new teaching series we're kicking off today called Messy Church. Now, I know that's kind of a strange title, right? Like, Messy Church. What in, the, what in the world is that? What's a Messy Church and why is it called Messy Church? So let me tell you why we called it Messy Church because it explains where we're going to be going for the next several weeks. So after Jesus rises from the dead, and we celebrated that with Easter last week, um, his followers stay a little bit while longer in Jerusalem. And, uh, and, and it's after that moment where he ascends into heaven and tells everyone to be witnesses to and the ends of the earth that the book of Acts actually begins. Now, for those of you who probably haven't heard of that New Testament book called Acts before, Uh, Let me explain to you what it's all about. Acts chronicles how the church was born and how rapidly Christianity spread all throughout the Roman Empire. This is the period in the remainder of the the first century that people refer to when they're saying, you know, the early church. They use that term. When you're reading Acts, it seems like the events happen in just rapid succession, like one after the other. But it actually expands like some 60 years. So keep that in mind as we tackle the different events in this teaching series. They don't happen super fast. Uh, They're happening over a period of years, uh, more like three decades to be exact, okay? Something to keep in mind, too, with the early church before we get going today. Many Christians in our world today hold this view of the early church as just this pristine, almost perfect, pure way of doing church kind of body. And it's placed on a very high pedestal. So to be fair, in some ways, yes, the church in the first century deserves a lot of that recognition. But the early church was far from perfect. And when you hold something in such high regard, you tend to ignore the less attractive features, right? And so the early church did not have it all together. The truth is the church today is not much different than the church in the first century that you read about in Acts or the New Testament. We face a lot of the same problems, and that's because even though we've advanced in the ages in a very technological kind of sense, humanity has largely stayed the same. The same struggles people in the first century faced regarding relationships and God and sin, we, we face them too, right? Like, we're imperfect. <laughs> we're crazy. We're messy. And guess what? The early church, it was messy too. And messy is a good way, I think, to describe the church, at least in a very healthy function. And here's why. It's messy because people are messy. Because when we make a decision to follow Christ and begin to grow in our faith, God causes all of our junk, that sin, to rise to the surface. And that process of removing our sin and shaping us to become like Christ, it's a messy process. It's always messy. But as God deals with our junk, He fills us more with His Spirit and become more like Him. And that's a good thing. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's a process that takes years, even an entire lifetime. 
So some of the messy issues the early church dealt with are things we actually still struggle with today, believe it or not. So things like prejudice, the idea that Jews were superior to non-Jews. Another term for non-Jews we use is Gentiles. Um, internal conflicts, the early church almost split. Did you know that? It almost split apart, um, holding back from God. We're going to cover a crazy story about a couple named Ananias and Sapphira in this series. Uh, and throughout the, 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 the messy church, we're going to cover a lot of topics. Uh, and we're going to see in the middle of the mess how God created something incredible. So the first step to God sorting through our mess requires us to make some necessary adjustments. We have to make a decision to change and to allow God to let the junk rise to the surface and deal with it so we can become like Christ. I cannot think of a better story to illustrate this and to start off with really than the story of a man named Paul. But we're going to pick up his story in Acts chapter 9. So in Acts chapter 9, the church has been born. It's in its infancy stages, in its earliest days. Paul's name at this juncture is actually Saul. He's not going by Paul yet. He belonged to a religious sect called the Pharisees, who made up the majority of the priests in a ruling body called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin governed Jewish life locally in a very theocratic way. So one of the first leaders in the early church was a man named Stephen, and he'd been sentenced to die by stoning. And Saul was present at that execution. He may have even cast a vote in favor of the execution of Stephen. And he gets so amped up and so, you know, zealous for stamping out these early Christians, that he makes it a point to literally hunt them down. So Acts chapter 9, verse number 1, his story is going to start like this. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, and he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest, and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. Which, by the way, we'll stop for a moment. Whenever you see the term the way, it's referring to Christianity. They haven't been called Christians yet. That's going to happen later. In fact, Christians are viewed as belonging to a radical cult-like sect of Judaism at this point, believe it or not. Uh, so the story continues. He wanted to bring them, uh, bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And so as he's approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone on him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. So get up and go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And the men with Saul, they stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they didn't see anybody. So Saul picked himself up off the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days and didn't eat or drink. So before Saul became Paul, we'll explain that in a little bit, before he became the greatest missionary and church planner the world had ever seen, he was hell-bent on destroying followers of Christ. He approved of one execution already. He wanted to carry out even more. And to get from, you know, Saul to Paul, he was going to have to make some monumental, necessary adjustments, right? Life is full of adjustments. I remember telling Shana after we'd been married for about five years that I'd finally found the right rhythm. I don't believe in balance. I think life happens in rhythms. And I found the right rhythm to ministry, marriage, activities that I liked, like golf and softball. But our oldest son was on the verge of being born. And I remember saying, 
I'm not looking forward to making more adjustments again after just discovering a good rhythm. Because having kids and adjusting to them, that's a lifelong work, right? But those adjustments are necessary because we're bringing home a new little human and we gotta take care of that life, right? All of us, we all go through adjustments. We experience necessary adjustments all the time. Why? Because life requires adjustments. I think we've learned that over the past year, right? How true it is on a whole different level. Like we've made adjustments in how we shop and how we learn, how we socialize, how we even see the world now. How we did things, how we lived before the pandemic and the many changes which came with it. I'm just gonna tell you, man, it's not coming back. Like we're in a whole new world now, uh, like it or not, and we're still making adjustments to figure out how to do life in the midst of all these changes too. But there's no bigger or more important adjustment you and I can make than deciding to follow Jesus. That is an adjustment which is life-altering for all eternity. See, the truth is you cannot keep living the way you've always lived once that adjustment's made. That's why at Radiant, we say that your spiritual journey is just beginning after you accept Christ's invitation. It's why we don't want you to stop at knowing God. We want to help you find freedom and discover your purpose and make a difference. Paul writes about this change. He does it in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and he says this, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. A new life, I love that phrase, new life, has begun. You've got to adjust your life to live for Christ, to follow Him and to serve Him. No one understands that better than Paul. And I'm convinced that he was one of the most intelligent men to ever walk this planet. Earlier I said he was known as Saul, right, before he changed his name to Paul. That's significant, and here's why. He's not only making the adjustment to follow Christ, he's literally changing his identity, his name, in the process. He went all in for Jesus. So before this Damascus Road experience, he was Saul. He was Saul, the persecutor, the murderer, the passionate servant of God. Yeah, after that experience, he became Paul, the great missionary, the great church planner, the man who raised and developed leaders, who wrote a third of your New Testament. And it may sound strange to hear him described you know, earlier as, as a passionate servant of God before becoming Paul, but that's actually how he saw himself. If you were to ask him when he was Saul, if he felt he was honoring God and doing the Lord's work, Paul, or Saul would have said, see, I did it right there, right? Saul would have said unequivocally, yes. He was an up-and-coming leader in Judaism, and he studied under the greatest rabbi of the first century, a man named Gamaliel. His academic pedigree, what's well, Ivy League material in our world today. He was a Pharisee, meaning he belonged to the strictest sect of Judaism. These were the same guys who violently opposed Christ, and they, they actually helped get him crucified. But the Pharisees were good guys to the Jewish people. Like These were the people you wanted your kids to grow up to be one day. Uh, some scholars even believe that Paul may have actually heard and seen Jesus teach. He may have witnessed the, the trials and even the death of Christ as well. I mean, think about it. He was only about 10 years years older than Jesus. Paul would have been about 40 when Christ was put on trial and died. So he would have been a person commanding a lot of respect, wearing you know, the religious robes and stuff, and he would have been passionately serving God. Okay, well, at least he thought he was serving God, right? He thought he was serving God. He thought he was doing the Lord's work by going to Damascus and arresting Christians. But then he has an encounter with the risen Savior, which changes everything. A radical adjustment started that day, and he gives up being a uh, respected, powerful Jewish leader, and he becomes a follower of Jesus, changing his name to Paul in the process. 
almost symbolically we read in Second Corinthians, his old life Saul is gone, but his new life Paul and Christ is just begun. So underneath the, the outward religious appearance was a man who really had it all wrong. He thought he was serving God, so much so he completely missed Jesus in the process. Here's where you and I have to be careful. We hear about making necessary adjustments to follow Christ, don't we? And often people decide to make this adjustment, but after that grand emotional encounter with Jesus they have one day, they never actually follow through with adjusting anything else. And so what happens is they become just like Saul. See, it's easy to get so caught up in a desire to serve Jesus, it replaces our desire for Jesus. So what does that look like? It looks like this. Somebody who's focused on all the little things, who makes mountains out of molehills. I think we all know people like that, right? It's being focused on what new Christians or younger people are doing, which isn't the way we've always done things around here, you know? It's being focused on what older people are doing to impede on what we think is progress. It's someone who's focused on how a person ought to look or what they should say or how they should act to fit in this box they've kind of put God in. We have to make sure necessary adjustments are happening in our lives beyond the initial encounter with Christ. It doesn't stop with an emotional decision to follow Jesus. The necessary adjustments have to continue every single day of our lives. If we're going to make those necessary adjustments, then we have to make sure that we adjust our focus. So in verse number four, Jesus calls on Paul to do just that. He goes, hey, why are you persecuting me? And, and for Paul to make the necessary adjustments, he needed to adjust the focus. It meant getting away from focusing on religion and shifting his focus to desiring Jesus. So listen to me today, especially if you're a brand new Christian. I think it's the best advice I can give you. Get with Jesus. Get with Jesus. Don't fall in the trap of focusing on religion and tradition. Don't focus on the small, insignificant things in church that make people, you know, go crazy and making the big deals. Don't adopt the religious jargon and try to act or talk real spiritual, you know? That's all nonsense. Just focus on Jesus. You know what happens if we change our focus, if we begin to experience the freedom and joy of knowing Christ? Not theoretically, not philosophically. We literally experience true freedom and joy in Jesus. We stop caring about, you know, looking like a Christian and we start actually living like one. You know what the ultimate result, though, of that adjustment is? We start showing the love of Christ in a way which changes lives and impacts people all around us. When you adjust your focus to desiring Jesus, it means you can make the necessary adjustments needed in your life. And as you make the necessary adjustments to follow Christ, you also begin to adjust your efforts. Now, after this encounter with Jesus, Paul went on to become the greatest missionary the world had ever seen. He became you know, the gospel's biggest champion. His desire shifted because he adjusted his efforts. His desire wasn't to serve Jesus. His desire was actually for Jesus. See, a, a, a desire to truly like serve Christ, it will always follow the desire for him. So serving becomes something that you get to do. You don't serve within a church because the church has a need. You serve because you're pouring into the next generation of kids or you're making people feel welcome and comfortable and their guard begins to let down and drop because they're, they feel at home. It's not a job or a role or a position. Man, it is a passion to serve. You serve your community 
not to convert anybody to Christianity. You serve to make a difference, which lets people see the heart of Christ in all that you're doing. People are drawn to Christ who's living through you, through you and your words and your actions, your attributes and how you live. That unusual love and grace that you show, it makes an impact that can lead to an eternal change. And it's not even about getting people to come to church for you. It's about getting them to come to Jesus. So as you adjust your efforts, people begin to see Christ in action. But in the process, you undergo a massive change yourself. You become more generous, more forgiving, more patient, more loving, more gracious, more like Jesus. When you get the heart of God, just like Paul did, you don't care how messy people can be. You don't care how messy church can get. You just want to reach folks for Christ. It's not about an organization. It's not about the metrics. It's not about tradition or how you behave in church. It's about getting people to know God, period. It overtakes and overwhelms everything. It becomes the number one priority. And when they come to know God, it's taking them on their next steps in their journey to finding true freedom in Christ, right? Discovering their purpose and making a difference. That, by the way, is called making disciples. And it's something Paul would learn how to do really well. But before he was Paul, he was Saul. And Saul had all the accolades you'd look for in a proven religious leader and figure. He had the pedigree, he had the training, he had everything going for him. I can tell you he was very likely considered to be one of the most godly men in the circles he ran with. But Saul was dead, spiritually speaking. What good is it to have the look and feel of spiritual wisdom and piety if you've got no life inside of you? See, Saul was a dead man walking until he had an encounter with Jesus, and he made necessary adjustments that breathed life into his very soul. Don't make the same mistake that Paul made for much of his life. Don't put your efforts into working so much for God and so hard for God. You miss Jesus altogether. Don't get caught up in the religious experience you miss, the Jesus encounter that that he wants to have in your life. There are numerous misguided Christians sitting in churches everywhere who fit those descriptions. They don't serve outside their church because they believe it doesn't count. They don't reach people who are far from God because those people aren't the sort of people we should mingle with, you know? They don't make room for people exploring their faith and asking hard questions or who are new in their faith to make mistakes and grow. They love their religious experience at the expense of reaching and developing people for Christ. They're Saul's before he met Jesus and became Paul. Don't be one of those guys today, okay? Make the necessary adjustments. And if you can make the necessary adjustments, adjusting your focus and your efforts in the process, you'll start getting in the thick of the messiness of people becoming just like Christ, and you'll help them sort through the junk that God brings to the surface so they can be filled more with His Spirit. You'll be like Paul, doing anything necessary short of compromising God's Word to win people for Christ. And as a result, the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of the church, is built. And we'll talk more about that here in a few weeks. But the truth is, you and I, we need to make some adjustments in our lives, don't we? Like each day, we should be adjusting the way we think, the way we operate, the way we live, because we know that Jesus intimately knows our hearts, our lives, and we need to become just like Him. And so what adjustments do we need to make today? What do you need to make in your life, I wonder? Is it making the choice to follow Christ? Is it adjusting your focus? Is it 
changing your efforts around you. I don't know about you, but the one necessary adjustment I need to keep making to make sure that my desire to serve uh, Christ is that my desire for Jesus does not replace my desire to serve Him. Uh, maybe you need to adjust your focus or your efforts. Whatever your adjustment is, it's time to have an encounter like Saul. It's time to make necessary adjustments in your life today. So I want to pray for you here in just a moment. Before I do, I just want to ask you, do you know Christ? That's the biggest adjustment you have to make in your life. Do you know Him? Does He know you? And if not, I want to lead you in a two-step prayer that you'll be introduced to who Christ is and you can accept this invitation to become Lord and Savior of your life and you'll be part of God's kingdom. But that, that, that journey, as we said before, it's just beginning. It's not ending right there, okay? But I want to pray for those of you as well who you're stuck being a Saul. You're kind of, you're in the whole religious kind of experience right now. And I want to pray for you that you have an encounter with Christ, that you make uh, adjusting your focus and efforts to priority so that your desire for Jesus wins the day. And you should get in the mess of some people's lives and help lead them to the heart of the Savior. So Father, I thank you for who you are, for your goodness and grace. And Lord, I pray right now uh, for those who don't know you. I ask, Lord, if they're making that adjustment to follow you for the first time today, I pray, Lord, that, that, that for those guys, they'll say yes to you. I pray, Lord, right now, if, that, if that's you, just follow along with me wherever you're watching or listening from in your own words. The prayer kind of goes like this. Uh, hey, Lord, I am sorry for my sin. Forgive me for the wrongs that I've done. Will you cleanse me of my unrighteousness and my sin and the wrongs I've done and give me this brand new start. Become Savior of my life. Save Saving me and giving me a brand new start and a brand new shot at, at life. And I thank you for forgiving me of my sin and my wrong. And now we're going to make him Lord. And that goes like this. And from this day forward, God, I want to follow and serve you. With all my heart and soul, I'm going to serve you. I'm giving you everything. I'm, I'm not going to call the shots anymore. I'm going to now follow you wherever you lead me and guide me. I want to be yours from this day forward. Lord, for those who... Uh, are caught kind of being like Saul right now. They're in religion. Uh, they're not getting in the mess of people's lives. They're caring about some things that they shouldn't care about. The desire to serve outweighs the desire for you. God, I pray you would uh, work in their hearts today, that, Father, you would break down this religious wall in their life. And I pray, Lord, that they have a desire to um, spend time with you, to get with you, to know your heart, to know, God, just, just you in an intimate way. And that desire for you, I pray, outweighs everything else. The desire to serve follows that. And so I pray that desire for you wins the day and that, Lord, they begin to love people where they are. They begin to get in the mess of people's lives and help them encounter you and bring them, God, to you so they, they, they have an encounter with Jesus in their own personal way. They can change hearts and lives. And so, Father, I just pray that any kind of religious obstacle that might be in our way, uh, Lord, you would just, just, just tear it apart, remove it. May we just have a desire for you to get with you, to be close to you, so that, Lord, we can win people, God, for you in a powerful and mighty way. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. And we ask all of this in your name. Amen. Hey, if you said that prayer here. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.